Act Four of the Second Part of Henry the Fourth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Part of Henry the Fourth by William Shakespeare. Act Four, Scene One, Yorkshire, within the forest of Galtry. Enter the Archbishop of York, Mowbray, Hastings, and others. What is this forest called? Tis Galtry Forest, and shall please your grace. Here stand, my lords, and send discoverers forth to know the numbers of our enemies. We have sent forth already. Tis well done. My friends and brethren in these great affairs, I must acquaint you that I have received new dated letters from Northumberland. Their cold intent, tenor, and substance thus. Here doth he wish his person with such powers as might hold sortance with his quality, the which he could not levy, whereupon he is retired to ripe his growing fortunes to Scotland, and concludes in hearty prayers that your attempts may overlive the hazard and fearful melting of their opposite. Thus do the hopes we have in him touch ground, and dash themselves to pieces. Enter a messenger. Now, what news? West of this forest, scarcely off a mile, in goodly form comes on the enemy, and, by the ground they hide, I judge their number upon or near the rate of thirty thousand. The just proportion that we gave them out. Let us sway on and face them in the field. Enter Westmoreland. What well-appointed leader fronts us here? I think it is my lord of Westmoreland. Health and fair greeting from our general, the Prince, Lord John, and Duke of Lancaster. Say on, my lord of Westmoreland, in peace. What doth concern your coming? Then, my lord, unto your grace, do I in chief address the substance of my speech. If that rebellion came like itself in base and abject routs, led on by bloody youth guarded with rags, and countenanced by boys and beggary, I say, if damned commotion so appeared, in his true native and most proper shape, you, reverend father, and these noble lords had not been here to dress the ugly form of base and bloody insurrection with your fair honours. You, Lord Archbishop, whose see is by a civil peace maintained, whose beard the silver hand of peace hath touched, whose learning and good letters peace hath tutored, whose white investments figure innocence, the dove and very blessed spirit of peace, wherefore you do so ill translate yourself out of the speech of peace that bears such grace into the harsh and boisterous tongue of war, turning your books to graves, your ink to blood, your pens to lances, and your tongue divine to a loud trumpet and point of war. Wherefore do I this? So the question stands. Briefly, to this end, we are all diseased, and with our surfeiting and wanton hours have brought ourselves into a burning fever, and we must bleed for it, of which disease our late King Richard, being infected, died. But, my most noble lord of Westmoreland, I take not on me here as a physician, nor do I as an enemy to peace troop in the throngs of military men but rather show a while like fearful war to diet rank mind sick of happiness and purge the obstructions which begin to stop our very veins of life hear me more plainly i have in equal balance justly weighed what wrongs our arms may do what wrongs we suffer and find our griefs heavier than our offences 
we see which way the stream of time doth run, and are enforced from our most quiet there by the rough torrent of occasion, and have the summary of all our griefs when time shall serve to show in articles, which long ere this we offered to the king, and might by no suit gain our audience. When we are wronged and would unfold our griefs, we are denied access unto his person, even by those men that most have done us wrong. The dangers of the days but newly gone, whose memory is written on the earth with yet appearing blood, and the examples of every minute's instance, present now, have put us in these ill-beseeming arms, not to break peace or any branch of it, but to establish here a peace indeed, concurring both in name and quality. When ever yet was your appeal denied, wherein have you been galled by the king? What peer hath been suborned to grate on you that you should seal this lawless bloody book of forged rebellion with a seal divine, and consecrate commotion's bitter edge? My brother general, the commonwealth, to brother born and household cruelty, I make my quarrel in particular. There is no need of any such redress, or if there were, it not belongs to you. Why not to him in part, and to us all, that feel the bruises of the days before, and suffer the condition of these times, to lay a heavy and unequal hand upon our honours? Oh, my good Lord Mowbray, construe the times to their necessities, and you shall say, Indeed it is the time, and not the king that does you injuries. Yet, for your part, it not appears to me, either from the king or in the present time, that you should have an inch of any ground to build grief on. Were you not restored to all the Duke of Norfolk's signatories, your noble and right well-remembered fathers? What thing in honour had my father lost, that need to be revived and breathed in me? The king that loved him, as the state stood then, was force perforce compelled to banish him, and then that Henry Bolingbroke and he, being mounted and both roused in their seats, their neighing causers daring of the spur, their armed staves in charge, their beavers down, their eyes of fire sparkling through sights of steel, and the loud trumpet blowing them together. Then, then, when there was nothing could have stayed, my father from the breast of Bolingbroke, oh, when the king did throw his warder down, his own life hung upon the staff he threw, then threw he down himself, and all their lives, that by indictment and by dint of sword, have since miscarried under Bolingbroke. You speak, Lord Mowbray, now you know not what. The Earl of Hereford was reputed then in England the most valiant gentleman. Who knows on whom fortune would then have smiled? But if your father had been victor there, he near had borne it out of Coventry. For all the country in a general voice had cited hate upon him, and all their prayers and love were set on Hereford, whom they doted on, and blessed and graced indeed more than the king. But this is mere digression from my purpose. Here come I from our princely general to know your griefs, to tell you from his grace that he will give you audience, and wherein it shall appear that your demands are just, you shall enjoy them, everything set off that might so much as think you enemies. But he hath forced us to compel this offer, and it proceeds from policy, not love. 
Mowbray, you are ween to take it so. This offer comes from mercy, not from fear. For lo, with a ken our army lies, Upon mine honour all too confident To give admittance to a thought of fear. Our battle is more full of names than yours, Our men are more perfect in the use of arms, Our armour all as strong, our cause the best. Then reason will our hearts should be as good. Say you not, then, our offer is compelled. Well, by my will we shall admit no parley. That argues but the shame of your offence. A rotten case abides no handling. Hath the Prince John a full commission, in very ample virtue of his father, to hear and absolutely to determine of what conditions we shall stand upon? That is intended in the General's name. I muse you make so slight a question. Then take, my Lord of Westmoreland, this schedule, for this contains our general grievances. Each several article herein redressed, all members of our cause, both here and hence, that are insinued to this action, acquitted by a true substantial form and present execution of our wills, to us and to our purposes confined, we come within our lawful banks again, and knit our powers to the arm of peace. This will I show the general. Please you, lords, in sight of both our battles we may meet, and either end in peace which God so frame, or to the place of difference call the swords which must decide it. My lord, we will do so. Exit Westmoreland. There is a thing within my bosom tells me that no conditions of our peace can stand. Fear you not that, if we can make our peace upon such large terms, and so absolute as our conditions shall consist upon, our peace shall stand as firm as rocky mountains. Yea, but our valuation shall be such that every slight and false derived cause, yea, every idle, nice, and wanton reason, shall to the king taste of this action, that, were our royal faiths martyrs in love, we shall be winnowed with so rough a wind that even our corn shall seem as light as chaff, and good from bad find no partition. No, no, my lord, note this. The king is weary of dainty and such picking grievances, for he hath found, to end one doubt by death, revives two greater in the heirs of life, and therefore will he wipe his tables clean, and keep no tell-tale to his memory, that may repeat in history his loss to new remembrance. For full well he knows, he cannot so precisely weed this land as his misdoubts present occasion. His foes are so enrooted with his friends, that, plucking to unfix an enemy, he doth unfasten so and shake a friend. So that this land, like an offensive wife, that hath enraged him on to offer strokes, as he is striking, holds his infant up, and hangs resolved correction in the arm that was upreared to execution. Besides, the king hath wasted all his rods on late offenders, that he now doth lack the very instruments of chastisement, so that his power, like to a fangless lion, may offer, but not hold. Tis very true. And therefore be assured, my good Lord Marshal, if we do now make our atonement well, our peace will, like a broken limb united, grow stronger for the breaking. Be it so. Here is returned my lord of Westmoreland. Re-enter Westmoreland. The prince is here at hand. Pleaseth your worship to meet his grace at just distance between our armies. Your grace of York, in God's name then set forward. 
before and greet his grace. My lord, we come. Exeunt. Scene two. Another part of the forest. Enter from one side Mowbray, attended. Afterwards, the Archbishop, Hastings, and others from the other side. Prince John of Lancaster, Westmoreland, officers, and others. You are well encountered here, my cousin Mowbray. Good day to you, gentle Lord Archbishop, and to you, Lord Hastings, and to all. My Lord of York, it better showed with you when that your flock assembled by the bell encircled you to hear with reverence your exposition of the holy text than now to see you here an iron man, cheering a rout of rebels with your drum, turning the word to sword and life to death. That man that sits within the reach of a monarch's heart and ripens in the sunshine of his favour, would he abuse the countenance of the king? Alack, what mischiefs might he set abroach? In shadow of such greatness, with you, Lord Bishop, it is even so. Who have not heard it spoken, how dupe you were within the books of God? To us the speaker in his parliament, to us the imagined voice of God himself, the very opener and intelligencer between the grace, the sanctities of heaven, and add our workings. Oh, who shall believe but you misuse the reverence of your place, employ the countenance and grace of heaven, as a false favourite does his prince's name, in deeds dishonourable. You have ta'en up, under the counterfeited zeal of God, the subjects of his substitute, my father, and have both against the peace of heaven and him, have here upswarmed them. Good, my lord of Lancaster, I am not here against your father's peace, but as I told my lord of Westmoreland, the time misordered doth, in common sense, crowd us and crush us to this monstrous form, to hold our safety up. I sent your grace the parcels and particulars of our grief, the which hath been with scorn shoved from the court, whereon this hydra son of war is born, whose dangerous eyes may well be charmed asleep with grant of our most just and right desires, and true obedience of this madness cured, stoop tamely to the foot of majesty. If not, we ready are to try our fortunes to the last man. And though we here fall down, we have supplies to second our attempt. If they miscarry, theirs shall second them. And so success of mischief shall be born, and air from air shall hold this quarrel up, whilst England shall have generation. You are too shallow, Hastings, much too shallow, to sound the bottom of the after-times. Pleaseth your grace to answer them directly. How far forth do you like their articles? I like them all, and do allow well, and swear here by the honour of my blood my father's purposes have been mistook, and some about him have too lavishly wrested his meaning and authority. My lord, these griefs shall be with speed redressed. Upon my soul they shall. If this may please you, discharge your powers unto their several counties as we will ours, and here, between the armies, let us drink together, friendly and embrace, that all their eyes may bear these tokens home of our restored love and amity. I take your princely word for these redresses. I give it to you, and will maintain my word, and thereupon I drink unto your grace. Go, Captain, and deliver to the army this news of peace. Let them have pay and part. I know it will well please them. Hi thee, Captain. Exit Officer
To you, my noble lord of Westmoreland. I pledge your grace, and if you knew what pains I have bestowed to breed this present peace, you would drink freely. But my love to you shall show itself more openly hereafter. I do not doubt you. I am glad of it. Health to my lord and gentle cousin Mowbray. You wish me health in a very happy season, for I am on the sudden something ill. Against ill chances men are ever merry, but heaviness foreruns the good event. Therefore be merry, Cos, since sudden sorrow serves to say thus, some good thing comes to-morrow. Believe me, I am passing light in spirit. So much the worse, if your own rule be true. Shouts within. The word of peace is rendered. Hark how they shout. This had been cheerful after victory. A peace is of the nature of a conquest, for then both parties nobly are subdued, and neither party loser. Go, my lord, and let our armies be discharged too. Exit Westmoreland. And, good my lord, so please you let our trains march by us, that we may peruse the men we should have coped with all. Go, good lord Hastings, and ere they be dismissed, let them march by. Exit Hastings. I trust, lords, we shall lie to-night together. Re-enter Westmoreland. Now, cousin, wherefore stands our army still? The leaders, having charge from you to stand, will not go off until they hear you speak. They know their duties. Re-enter Hastings. My lord, our army is dispersed already. Like youthful steers unyoked, they take their courses east, west, north, south. Or, like a school broke up, each hurries toward his home and sporting place. Good tidings, my lord Hastings, for the which I do arrest thee, traitor of high treason. And you, lord Archbishop, and you, lord Mowbray, of capital treason, I attach you both. Is this proceeding just and honourable? Is your assembly so? I pawned thee none. I promised you redress of these same grievances, whereof you did complain, which by my honour I will perform with our most Christian care. But for you rebels, look to taste the due meat for rebellion, and such acts of yours. Most shallowly did you these arms commence, fondly brought here and foolishly sent hence. Strike up our drums, pursue the scattered astray. God and not we have safely fought to-day. Some guard these traitors of the block of death, treason's true bed and yielder of breath. Exit. Scene three. Another part of the forest. Alarum. Excursions. Enter Falstaff and Colville, meeting. What's your name, sir? Of what condition are you, and of what place, I pray? I am a knight, sir, and my name is Colville of the Dale. Well, then, Colville is your name, a knight is your degree, and your place the Dale. Colville shall still be your name, a traitor your degree, and a dudgeon your place, a place deep enough. So shall you be still Colville of the Dale. Are not you Sir John Falstaff? As good a man is he, sir, whoe'er I am. Do you yield, sir, or shall I sweat for you? If I do sweat, they are the drops of thy lovers, and they weep for thy death. Therefore rouse up fear and trembling, and do observance to my mercy. I think you are, Sir John Falstaff, and in that thought yield me. 
I have a whole school of tongues in this belly of mine, and not a tongue of them all speaks any other word but my name. And I had but a belly of any indifferency. I were simply the most active fellow in Europe. My womb, my womb, my womb undoes me. Here comes our general. Enter Prince John of Lancaster, Westmoreland, Blunt, and others. The heat is past. Follow no further now. Call in the powers, good cousin Westmoreland. Exit Westmoreland. Now, Falstaff, where have you been all this while? When everything is ended, then you come. These tardy tricks of yours will by my life one time or other break some gallows back. I would be sorry, my lord, but it should be thus. I never knew yet but rebuke and check was the reward of valour. Do you think me a swallow, an arrow, or a bullet? Have I, in my poor and old motion, the expedition of thought? I have speeded hither with the very extremest inch of possibility. I have foundered nine score and odd posts, and here, travel tainted as I am, have in my pure and immaculate valour taken Sir John Colville of the Dale, a most furious knight and valorous enemy. But what of that? He saw me, and yielded, that I may justly say with the hook-nosed fellow of Rome, I came, saw, and overcame. It was more of his courtesy than your deserving. I know not. Here he is, and here I yield him, and I beseech your grace, let it be booked with the rest of this day's deeds, or, by the Lord, I will have it in a particular ballad else, with mine own picture on the top on't, Colville kissing my foot, to the which course, if I be enforced, if you do not all show, like gilt twopences to me, and I, in the clear sky of fame, or shine you as much as the full moon doth the cinders of the element, which show like pins' heads to her, believe not the word of the noble. Therefore let me have right, and let desert mount. Thine's too heavy to mount. Let it shine, then. Thine's too thick to shine. Let it do something, my good lord, that may do me good, and call it what you will. Is thy name Colville? It is, my lord. A famous rebel art thou, Colville? And a famous true subject took him. I am, my lord, but as my betters are that led me hither. Had they been ruled by me, you should have won them dearer than you have. I know not how they sold themselves, but thou, like a kind fellow, gavest thyself away gratis, and I thank thee for thee. Re-enter Westmoreland. Now have you left pursuit? Retreat is made and execution stayed. Send Colville with his confederates to York to present execution. Blunt leave him hence, and see you guard him sure. Exit Blunt and others. And now dispatch me to the court, my lords. I hear the king my father is sore sick. And you shall go before us to his majesty, which cousin you shall bear to comfort him. And we with sober speed will follow you. My lord, I beseech you, give me leave to go through Gloucestershire. And when you come to court, stand by my good lord, pray in your good report. Fare you well, Falstaff. I, in my condition, shall better speak of you than you deserve. Exit all but Falstaff. I would you had but the wit. T'were better than your dukedom. 
good faith this same young sober-blooded boy doth not love me nor a man cannot make him laugh but that's no marvel he drinks no wine there's never none of these demure boys come to any proof for thin drink doth so overcool their blood and making many fish-meals that they fall into a kind of male green sickness and then when they marry they get wenches they are generally fools and cowards which some of us should be too but for inflammation a good sherry's sack hath a twofold operation in it it ascends me into the brain dries me there all the foolish and dull and crudy vapours which environ it makes it apprehensive quick forgetive full of nimble fiery and delectable shapes which delivered or to the voice the tongue which is the birth becomes excellent wit the second property of your excellent sherries is the warming of the blood which before cold and settled left the liver white and pale which is the badge of pusillanimity and cowardice but the sherries warms it and makes it coarse from the inwards to the parts extremes it illumineth the face which as a beacon gives warning to all the rest of this little kingdom man to arm and then the vital commoners and inland petty spirits muster me all to their captain the heart who great and puffed up with his retinue doth any deed of courage and this valour comes of sherries so that skill in the weapon is nothing without sack for that sets it to work and learning a mere hoard of gold kept by a devil till sack commences it and sets it in act and use hereof comes it that prince harry is valiant for the cold blood he did naturally inherit of his father he hath like lean sterile and bare land manured husbanded and tilled with excellent endeavour of drinking good and good store of fertile sherries that he is become very hot and valiant if i had a thousand sons the first humane principle i would teach them should be to forswear thin potations and to addict themselves to sack enter bardolph how now bardolph the army is discharged all and gone let them go i'll through gloucestershire and there will i visit master robert shallow esquire i have him already tempering between my finger and my thumb and shortly will i seal with him come away exit scene four westminster the jerusalem chamber enter the king prince thomas of clarence prince humphrey of gloucester warwick and others now lords if god doth give successful end to this debate that bleedeth at our doors we will our youth lead on to higher fields and draw no swords but what are sanctified our navy is addressed our power collected our substitutes in absence well invested and everything lies level to our wish only we want a little personal strength and pause us till these rebels now afoot come underneath the yoke of government both which we doubt not but your majesties shall soon enjoy 
Humphrey, my son of Gloucester, where is the prince, your brother? I think he's gone to hunt, my lord, at Windsor. And how accompanied? I do not know, my lord. Is not his brother Thomas of Clarence with him? No, my good lord, he is in presence here. What would my lord and father? Nothing but well to thee, Thomas of Clarence. How chance thou art not with the prince thy brother? He loves thee, and thou dost neglect him, Thomas. Thou hast a better place in his affection than all thy brothers. Cherish it, my boy, and noble offices thou mayest effect of mediation, after I am dead, between his greatness and thy other brethren. Therefore omit him not, blunt not his love, nor lose the good advantage of his grace by seeming cold or careless of his will. For he is gracious, if he be observed. He hath a tear for pity, and a hand open as day for melting charity. Yet notwithstanding, being incensed, he's flint, as humorous as winter, and as sudden as flaws congealed in the spring of day. His temper, therefore, must be well observed. Chide him for faults, and do it reverently, when thou perceive his blood inclined to mirth. But being moody, give him line and scope, till that his passions, like a whale on ground, confound themselves with working. Learn this, Thomas, and thou shalt prove a shelter to thy friends, a hoop of gold to bend thy brothers in, that the united vessel of their blood, mingled with venom of suggestion, as force per force, the age will pour it in, shall never leak, though it do work as strong as a conitum or rash gunpowder. I shall observe him with all care and love. Why art thou not at Windsor with him, Thomas? He is not there to-day. He dines in London. And how accompanied? Canst thou tell that? With poins and other his continual followers. Most subject is the fattest soil to weeds. And he, the noble image of my youth, is overspread with them. Therefore my grief stretches itself beyond the hour of death. The blood weeps from my heart when I do shape in forms imaginary the unguided days and rotten times that you shall look upon when I am sleeping with my ancestors. For when his headstrong ride hath no curb, when rage and hot blood are his counsellors, when means and lavish manners meet together, Oh, with what wings shall his affections fly towards fronting peril and opposed decay? My gracious lord, you look beyond him quite. The prince but studies his companions like a strange tongue, wherein to gain the language tis needful that the most immodest word be looked upon and learnt. Which once attained, your highness knows, comes to no further use but to be known and hated." So, like gross terms, the prince will, in the perfectness of time, cast off his followers, and their memory shall, as a pattern or a measure, live, by which his grace must met the lives of other, turning past evils to advantages. Tis seldom when the bee doth leave her comb in the dead carrion. Enter Westmoreland. Who's here, Westmoreland? Health to my sovereign, and new happiness added to that that I am to deliver. Prince John, your son, doth kiss your grace's hand. Mowbray, the bishop's group, Hastings and all, are brought to the correction of your law. There is not now a rebel's sword unsheathed, but peace puts forth her olive everywhere. The manner how this action hath been borne, here at more leisure may your highness read, 
with every course in his particular. Oh, Westmoreland, thou art a summer bird, which ever in the haunch of winter sings the lifting up of day. Enter Harcourt. Look, here's more news. From enemies, heaven keep your majesty. And when they stand against you, may they fall, as those that I am come to tell you of. The Earl Northumberland and the Lord Bardolph, with a great power of English and of Scots, are by the shreve of Yorkshire overthrown. The manner and true order of the fight, this packet, please it you, contains at large. And wherefore should these good news make me sick? Will fortune never come with both hands full, but write her fair words still in foulest letters? She either gives a stomach and no food, such are the poor in health, or else a feast, and takes away the stomach, such are the rich, that have abundance and enjoy it not. I should rejoice now at this happy news, and now my sight fails and my brain is giddy. Oh, me! Come near me, now I am much ill. Comfort your majesty. Oh, my royal father! My sovereign lord, cheer up yourself, look up! Be patient, princes, you do know these fits are with his highness very ordinary. Stand from him, give him air, he'll straight be well. No, no, he cannot long hold out these pangs. The incessant care and labour of his mind hath wrought the muir that should confine it in, so thin that life looks through, and will break out. The people fear me, for they do observe unfathered airs and loathly births of nature. The seasons change their manners, as the year had found some months asleep, and leapt them over. The river hath thrice flowed, no ebb between, and the old folk, times doting chronicles, say it did so a little time before that our great-grandsire Edward sicked and died. Speak lower, princes, for the king recovers. This apoplexy will certain be his end. I pray you, take me up, and bear me hence, into some other chamber. Softly, pray. Exeunt. Scene 5. Westminster, another chamber. The king lying on a bed. Clarence, Gloucester, Warwick, and others in attendance. Let there be no noise made, my gentle friends, unless some dull and favourable hand will whisper music to my weary spirit. Call for the music in the other room. Set me the crown upon my pillow here. His eye is hollow, and he changes much. Less noise, less noise. Enter Prince Henry. Who saw the Duke of Clarence? I am here, brother, full of heaviness. How now? Reign within doors and none abroad. How doth the king? Exceeding ill. Heard he the good news yet? Tell it him. He altered much upon the hearing it. If he be sick with joy, he'll recover without physic. Not so much noise, my lords. Sweet prince, speak low. The king, your father, is disposed to sleep. Let us withdraw into the other room. Wilt please your grace to go along with us? No. I will sit and watch here by the king. Exeunt all but the prince. Why does the crown lie there, upon his pillow, being so troublesome a bedfellow? Oh, polished perturbation, golden care, that keeps the ports of slumber open wide too many a watchful night. Sleep with it now, 
yet not so sound and half so deeply sweet as he whose brow with homely biggin bound snores out the watch of night. Oh, majesty, when thou dost pinch thy bearer, thou dost sit like a rich armor worn in heat of day that skulks with safety by his gates of breath. There lies a downy feather which stirs not. Did he suspire? That light and weightless down perforce must move. My gracious lord, my father, this sleep is sound indeed. This is a sleep that from this golden regal hath divorced so many English kings. Thy due for me is tears and heavy sorrows of the blood which nature, love, and filial tenderness shall, O oh dear father, pay thee plenteously. My due from thee is this imperial crown, which, as immediate from thy place and blood, derives itself to me. Putting on the crown. Lo, where it sits, which God shall guard, the world's whole strength, into one giant arm, it shall not force this lineal honor from me. This from thee will I to mine leave, as tis left to me. Exit. Warwick, Gloucester, Clarence. Re-enter Warwick, Gloucester, Clarence. Doth the king call? What would your majesty? How fares your grace? Why did you leave me here alone, my lords? We left the prince my brother here, my liege, who undertook to sit and watch by you. The prince of Wales, where is he? Let me see him. He is not here. This door is open. He has gone this way. He came not through the chamber where we stayed. Where is the crown? Who took it from my pillow? When we withdrew, my liege, we left it here. The prince have taken it thence. Go seek him out. Is he so hasty that he doth suppose my sleep my death? Find him, my lord of Warwick, chide him hither. Exit Warwick. This part of his conjoins with my disease, and helps to end me. See, sons, what things you are! How quickly nature falls into revolt when gold becomes her object! For this the foolish, over-careful fathers have broke their sleep with thoughts, their brains with care, their bones with industry. For this they have engrossed and piled up the cankered heaps of strange achieved gold. For this they have been thoughtful to invest their sons with arts and martial exercises, when, like the bee, culling from every flower the virtuous sweets, our thighs packed with wax, our mouths with honey, we bring it to the hive and like the bees are murdered for our pains. This bitter taste yield his engrossments to the ending, father. Re-enter Warwick. Now, where is he that will not stay so long till his friend's sickness hath determined me? My lord, I found the prince in the next room, washing with kindly tears his gentle cheeks, with such a deep demeanor in great sorrow, that tyranny which never quaffed but blood would, by beholding him, have washed his knife with gentle eye-drops. He is coming hither. But wherefore did he take away the crown? 
Re-enter Prince Henry. Lo, where he comes. Come hither to me, Harry. Depart the chamber. Leave us here alone. Exit all but the king and the prince. I never thought to hear you speak again. Thy wish was father, Harry, to that thought. I stay too long by thee. I weary thee. Dost thou so hunger for mine empty chair that thou wilt needs invest thee with my honours before thy hour be ripe? O foolish youth! Thou seekest the greatness that will o'erwhelm thee. Stay but a little, for my cloud of dignity is held from falling with so weak a wind that it will quickly drop. My day is dim. Thou hast stolen that which after some few hours were thine without offence, and at my death thou hast sealed up my expectation. Thy life did manifest thou lovest me not, and thou wilt have me die assured of it. Thou hidest a thousand daggers in thy thoughts, which thou hast wedded on thy stony heart to stab at half an hour of my life. What? Canst thou not forbear me half an hour? Then get thee gone, and dig my grave thyself, and bid the merry bells ring to thine ear that thou art crowned. Not that I am dead. Let all the tears that should bedew my hearse be drops of balm to sanctify thy head. Only compound me with forgotten dust. Give that which gave thee life unto the worms. Pluck down my officers, break my decrees, for now a time is come to mock at form. Harry the fifth is crowned. Up, vanity! Down, royal state! All you sage counsellors, hence! And to the English court assemble now, from every region, apes of idleness. Now, neighbour confines, purge you of your scum. Have you a ruffian that will swear, drink, dance, revel the night, rob, murder, and commit the oldest sins, the newest kind of ways? Be happy. He will trouble you no more. England shall double-gild his treble guilt. England shall give him office, honour, might. For the fifth Harry from curbed license plucks the muzzle of restraint, and the wild dog shall flesh his tooth on every innocent. Oh, my poor kingdom, sick with civil blows, when that my care could not withhold thy riots, what wilt thou do when riot is thy care? Oh, thou wilt be a wilderness again, peopled with wolves, thy old inhabitants. Oh, pardon me, my liege, but for my tears, the moist impediments under my speech, I had forestalled this dear and deep rebuke ere you with grief had spoken, and I had heard the course of it so far. There is your crown. And he that wears the crown immortally long guarded yours. Kneeling. If I affect it more than as your honor and as your renown, let me no more from this obedience rise, which my most inward, true, and duteous spirit teacheth this prostrate and exterior bending. God witness with me. When I here came in and found no course of breath within your majesty, how cold it struck my heart. 
If I do faint, oh, let me in my present wildness die, and never live to show the incredulous world the noble change that I have purposed, coming to look on you, thinking you dead, and dead almost, my liege, to think you were, I, I spake unto this crown as having sense, and thus upbraided it, the care on thee, depending, hath fed upon the body of my father. Therefore thou, best of gold, art worst of gold. Other less fine in carrot is more precious, preserving life in medicine potable. But thou, most fine, most honored, most renowned, hast thy bearer up. Thus, my most royal liege, accusing it, I put it on my head, and to try with it, as with an enemy that had before my face murdered my father, the quarrel of a true inheritor. But if it did inflict my blood with joy, or swell my thoughts to any strain of pride, if any rebel or vain spirit of mine did with the least affection of a welcome give entertainment to the might of it, let God forever keep it from my head, and make me as the poorest vassal is, that doth with awe and terror kneel to it. O oh, my son, God put it in thy mind to take it hence, that thou mightst win the more thy father's love, pleading so wisely in excuse of it. Come hither, Harry, sit thou by my bed, and here, I think, the very latest counsel that ever I shall breathe. God knows, my son, by what by-paths and indirect crooked ways I met this crown, and I myself know well how troublesome it sat upon my head. To thee it shall descend with bitter quiet, better opinion, better confirmation, for all the soil of the achievement goes with me into the earth. It seemed in me but as an honour snatched with boisterous hand, and I had many living to upbraid my gain of it by their assistances, which daily grew to quarrel and to bloodshed, wounding supposed peace. All these bold fears thou seest with peril, I have answered, for all my reign hath been but as a scene acting that argument, and now my death changes the mode, for what in me was purchased falls upon thee in a more fairer sort. So thou the garland wearest successively, yet, though thou standest more sure than I could do, thou art not firm enough, since griefs are green, and all my friends, which thou must make thy friends, have but their stings and teeth newly taken out, by whose fell working I was first advanced, and by whose power I well might lodge a fear to be again displaced, which to avoid I cut them off, and had a purpose now to lead out many to the Holy Land, lest resting lying still might make them look too near unto my state. Therefore, my Harry, be it thy course to busy giddy minds with foreign quarrels, that action hence borne out may waste the memory of the former days. More would I, 
my lungs are wasted so that strength of speech is utterly denied me how i came by the crown oh god forgive and grant it may with thee in true peace live my gracious liege you won it wore it kept it gave it me then plain and right must my possession be which i with more than with a common pain against all the world will rightfully maintain enter prince john of lancaster warwick lords and others look look here comes my john of lancaster health peace and happiness to my royal father thou bringest me happiness and peace son john but health <laughs> alack with youthful wings is flown from this bare withered trunk upon thy sight my worldly business makes a period where, where is my lord of warwick my lord of warwick doth any name particular belong unto the lodging where i first did swoon tis called jerusalem my noble lord lord be to god even there my life must end it hath been prophesied to me many years i should not die but in jerusalem which vainly i supposed the holy land but bear me to that chamber there i'll lie in that jerusalem shall harry die Exent. end of act four